Hi, I'm Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frequently frustrating technical aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Monica. Hi, Dr. Janice. Well, how are you doing? Hanging in there. Well, I'm barely hanging in there. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's been a notion, as the uh, more seasoned people would say. I have been through and back again uh, with my mom. She's had a lot of illnesses over the past few weeks. And I've been to the emergency room four times in a month. And I don't want to do that. And I know our listeners don't want to do that, but I find myself and have found myself in the emergency room a lot lately for a variety of reasons. So let me stop you right there. In geriatric medicine, one of the things we like to avoid is what we call unnecessary hospitalizations and emergency room visits. Based on your experience, I know you thought that these were all necessary, but things that are real need to go to the emergency room are broken bones, unresponsiveness, sudden falls, disorientation. What drove you to the emergency room? Don't go because somebody has a cold or something like that. And I'm saying this for our listeners because it's like anytime if it's after hours, we run to the emergency room. And sometimes being in the emergency room isn't as efficient nor as pleasant an experience as we like. So tell me why you went to the emergency room. Actually, I feel validated and vindicated by what you just said, because all of the above happened to my mother. On the first occasion, it was vomiting, a fever over 100, and unresponsiveness. And I even tried not to take her to the emergency room for that. Call the doctor on call because it was late, late at night after hours. And because of the, you know, climate that we're in now with COVID, they heard her sneeze in the background and they said, oh, she could have COVID. So you must go to the emergency room. I didn't want to go. Well, she did not have COVID, but through many tests and pokes and prods, they thought she had pneumonia because she was vomiting and and aspirating and all of that. And we were there for 12 hours. And after um, not a clear diagnosis, she didn't have pneumonia but we still don't know what happened. So I would have preferred not to go to the emergency room, but I was told that I had to. 
So what do you do? Based on what you said, I like what you did. You didn't just go to the emergency room. You called your PCP and spoke to the doctor on call and got advice about whether or not you should go. So one thing that is important to make sure that we avoid hospitalizations and unnecessary emergency room visits is to check with your PCP unless it's a straight out, clear out emergency like I elucidated before. You've fallen, you've got blood, you've got some acute problem going on. Somebody fell and you, nothing looks right. You know, you might've broken a bone. Okay, go to the emergency room then. But we save ourselves a lot of trouble if we call our primary care doctor's office ahead of presenting ourselves to the emergency room. And in your case, sounds like you were there for a long time, uh, but it's not always that way. If you call your doctor's office, a lot of times, depending upon the medical system that you're in, almost all emergency rooms are run by emergency room doctors Unlike when I practiced 20 years ago, I wouldn't meet you in the emergency room, but I might call the doctors that are there and tell them to expect you and these are your symptoms. When you do that, I can say that as a clinician that your path through the emergency room is a little faster. You know that you're coming. Similar situation with me with respect to my husband who had been hospitalized in February and then had... Um, complication related to his surgery. I came home one day and he was just kind of out of sorts. And I saw something I knew that wasn't correct. And yeah, I'm a doctor, but I called his doctor. I called his surgeon, explained the symptoms, told them what they were. She said, he needs to go straight to the emergency room. My resident will meet you there. My fellow will meet you there. So dressed him up, put him in the car and I took him to the emergency room. And yeah, you have to do whatever the emergency room procedure is to get yourself in there. But as soon as I got there, that fellow, that resident was in the emergency room waiting on us. And she expedited our path through that emergency room and got started with whatever evaluation she was doing. So that doesn't always happen. But I think that when you make the attempt to call your primary care doctor to get advice ahead of trying to leave for the emergency room. It can, first of all, if the doctor thinks it's something that they can manage overnight without you being in the emergency room, they'll say, okay, I will call this in, bring them to the office tomorrow. You may get into the doctor's office ahead of time. If they think it's a true emergency, they can call the emergency room and make sure that the emergency facility is prepped for you. But more importantly, that doctor is aware that you have had a problem and that this problem is going to be require some follow-up, whether that doctor does it that evening after your emergency room visit, but more than likely, you're going to be seen in your doctor's office soon after that visit if you're not admitted to the hospital. Well, that sounds great because um, let me ask you, is that something special um, that the doctor, your personal physician would meet you in the emergency room. I, now I know my mom on that first visit, it was during doctor's hours once they told her to go to the ER, but I've not experienced uh, being able to have the personal PCP come and meet us at the hospital. That's a luxury. Well, I said, depending upon your hospital system, okay? 
years ago, the way those of us in practice operated, if we had a patient who needed to come to the emergency room and in our best judgment, we felt couldn't, didn't need to come to the office, we would send them to the emergency room. And then after clinic hours, we would go to the hospital to check on that patient. The way hospitals work now, we have hospitalists that admit patients to the hospital. My patient might have needed to go to the hospital 10 or 15 years ago, and I would have admitted them. But now the process is you're seen in the emergency room by the emergency room physician, who is likely an emergent board certified emergency physician, whose job it is to look at all kinds of emergencies and triage and manage accordingly. And if the person looks like they can't be managed in the emergency room and needs to be admitted, they then go from the emergency room to a bed in the hospital. But they will not necessarily be managed by their PCP because the way hospitals work now and the way healthcare is administered, it's like we have sections. Most primary care doctors operate strictly out of their offices. If they tell you to go to the emergency room, they want you to go to the emergency room because there's information that they're not going to be able to get through their offices. And maybe the condition of the patient is such that they might need something like a defibrillator or something else that the, off, the outpatient office doesn't have. And if you're going to be admitted, chances are, again, 10 or 15 years ago or 20 years ago, if you were admitted to a hospital, your PCP was the person who took care of you in the hospital. That's not how healthcare is done now. You are managed by a hospitalist. That person takes care of you in the hospital. And when you are discharged, all the laboratories, x-rays, and a discharge summary is in your electronic medical record such that your primary care doctor can get it. You're supposed to have a follow-up with your primary care doctor within two weeks of being seen in that emergency room or in the hospital. And let me say this, you said something very important. Um, once they're in the emergency room and go through that system, all their records and tests and everything done, lab work are in put into the hospital records, if you per se. So what I do, and if if our listeners have the luxury of this, I always take my mother back to the same hospital that's connected with her PCP so that all those records can be assessed readily and easily. And I don't know about other parts of the country or the world, but I noticed in the past with my father when he had to go to the ER and an ambulance had to take him, unfortunately, you don't get your choice of where you go. The ambulance took my father where they wanted to take him and that was out of the system and it didn't work. So fortunately, my mother's illnesses over the past month have not been so catastrophic that I had to call an ambulance. So I took her myself and I took her where she needed to go to stay within the system. So that's very important. If you can and your loved one is not so, so critically ill that you can take them yourself to the ER, go where their records are already on file, so it makes it a whole lot easier in the long run. And I wanna say this, um, because our podcast is about Alzheimer's and dementia. Can you sort of talk about that extra level of, I don't wanna say difficulty, but that extra level of difficulty for lack of a better word, when you take a loved one with Alzheimer's or dementia into the ER? 
What do you face? Okay. What you're describing and what you're talking about is what we call in medicine continuity of care, continued care. Okay. You want your family member to be seen within the same system so that his or her medical evaluations and records are accessible to whatever doctor is seeing them. So here in um, Metro Atlanta, for example, we have four different hospital systems, okay? And those four hospital systems don't communicate. So if I am, okay, I'm associated with Emory University or Emory Healthcare System. If I'm a medical provider who's credentialed in the Emory Healthcare System, I may not have access to the records in the Wellstar Healthcare System or the Kaiser Permanente healthcare system. So maybe as a provider, I need you to go to those facilities. Since I'm Emory, I need you to go to the Emory associated facilities because I'm more likely to have access to your medical record. Sometimes people think that, oh, this hospital is located in a better end of town. Let me go to that one. Well, if that's not the system that your primary care doctor is associated with, that makes it harder to take care of your relative because then that doctor has to go through hoops to get medical records of whatever you had done. And in your mind, it's like, well, that was the better hospital. It might've been located in a neighborhood you think is better, but for your relative, it is not better because their records aren't accessible which brings me to the point that you were making, you know, how difficult is it when somebody has dementia? Well, first of all, somebody with dementia can't tell you whether they're hurting or not. They can't provide their medical history. And sometimes their relatives can't provide their medical history. But if you have their medical records all contained within the system, a provider in that system can pull it up on the electronic medical record. It's in the computer system what they've been seen for, what their medications are, who's being, who is following them for what. We can see all of that. But what generally happens when people do this uh, hopscotching through the healthcare system, the person's care becomes fragmented versus continuous care. It's fragmented. I went over here to see this doctor and this doctor gave me this. Well, what they give you? I don't know. Isn't it in his or her record? It might be in her record, but you're in a different healthcare system. So if you're going to see a medical provider, okay, again, I'm using Emory as an example. I'm an Emory healthcare provider, and I have access to the records of any patient in the Emory healthcare system. If my patient that is in front of me went through the Piedmont healthcare system, and I don't have all of those records, I'm starting from scratch. I'm starting from zero. It makes it that much more difficult for me to assess the person because I don't know what they have. So you then subject your relative to a lot of unnecessary testing, unnecessary, let's say, blood work, unnecessary x-rays, and maybe even some procedures that you don't like. Now, I know that I talked to you about this once before, and um, I'll call you Princess Dr. Denise. <laughs> see, our, our listeners can only hear us. They cannot see us because I'm smiling knowingly where you're going with this. 
and let me head you off because <laughs> I, I don't know about the loved ones of our listeners, but my mother is 92. And at this point in life, I don't know if it's because of age, but she has no veins. And I say that to say, it's hard to get blood work from her. And I am that crazy daughter saying, no, you can't take blood work. Okay, stick her once. If you don't get blood after one stick, you can't take blood. And you always fuss at me and say, well, to do their job, they need to know all this information. So yes, that's me. <laughs> it is. And, you know, I, I, I laugh about it, but it's so painful for her. And that, that ER visit I just talked about, it was horrible because, you know, they had to pull out a sonogram machine and find a vein in an ungodly place. And, and it was horrible, but they got lab works. And that was the first lab that my mother had done in two years because everyone knows they don't get blood work from her. So that's what I do. And I know you busted me about it, but this is another podcast. Like you must have an advocate. Maybe it's, a, I'm a crazy advocate, but if I wasn't there for my mother, they'd be sticking her left and right. And she'd be in such pain. I know they need it, but I'm the one with the hand up saying, stop, that's enough. And more often than not, the doctor will go, okay, that's okay. And they, I know that's not good, but that's what I do. Okay, that is what you do. But at the same time, you did take great pains to take her to a place where all of her records could be accessed. So people aren't going to necessarily stick her. Okay, so in an emergency, emergency is an emergency. And doctors, nurses are going to have to get some laboratories or depending upon what the problem is, intravenous access so that they can give them fluids and medication and other things. And as a relative, we don't like to see anybody stuck. I mean, I don't like to see anybody stuck because it's painful and it hurts. But if it's necessary, it's necessary. But you minimize the likelihood of unnecessary pokes and diagnostic evaluations when you keep your patient, your relative, your loved one with dementia in the same system so that the doctors can go back there and look and say, well, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do this because this was done at this time. This was done at that time. You right. save them a lot of unnecessary poking and prodding, as you call it. Right. So the, the take-home message here that we're trying to get people to say is if you have something acute happen that meets the standard for going to an emergency room, and if you're unsure, number one, call your PCP's office, speak with the doctor who is on call, if it's not your PCP, and get their advice. If they think it needs to go to the emergency room, go there in good with good understanding that it was a necessary reason for you to go. And that doctor may or may not alert the emergency room that you're coming to that you are on your way and these are the likely things to watch out for. The other thing beyond speaking to your PCP first is keep your loved one in the same healthcare system. Got it. I'd also like to share that, as I mentioned at the top of this, that my mother has been in the hospital quite a lot lately. That was number one. Number two, I only went to the ER because I was told to by a dentist because she had an abscess 
and an infection and it was over the weekend she needed antibiotics quickly. So that was number two. But number three was the more serious one. Um, she once again cannot express herself, but one morning um, she was complaining of her arm hurting. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, is this a heart attack? But it wasn't thankfully, but my mother, even though she's 92, she'd been walking all her life. And that morning she could not stand up. So I put her in the car with the help of a neighbor and took her to the ER and she had had two strokes. So she could not express herself once again. And I was there, I took her back to the same ER um, because it was in the system and she was in the hospital for eight days. So once again, um, not a place I wanted to be, but did I do the right thing? Sounds like you did because you were there for eight days, okay? She'd had a stroke, but it also sounds like she had an atypical presentation, a not normal presentation. You didn't think stroke. You just said she's not moving her arm. And legs at that point. And she could not express herself because of the Alzheimer's. So uh, that's when I guess we have to think and do what's necessary. And after the eight days, she got out. She's not walking yet, but um, prayerfully she will. But another example of her Alzheimer's is we're back home and she now has to use portable toilets and things like that. And I say, this is my fault but she was sitting on the toilet and because of her Alzheimer's, she does not understand that she cannot walk and she decides to get up and she fell and hit her head and fractured some bones around her eye. So it's a process, went back to the same ER. They didn't keep her, but we were there for a while and now she's out and recovering. But I don't know if our listeners are going through this, but it's a struggle. I'm tired. I know you all are tired if you're going through that, but we do the best we can. But I took her back to the same system. So you took her back to the same system and it sounds like you took a long time. She broke her bones in her face and it probably did take a long time to get some of that stuff done. But to your credit, that was done. What about that hospital experience? What about what happens afterwards? Okay. You said your mother's on the porta potty. Was she using a porta potty before? She was not. This is her first instance of a porta potty. And while she was in the hospital for those eight days, there was a system almost like a catheter, but not as invasive but she does not understand that she's supposed to use it. So really the only option for her right now is a portable toilet because she will not lay in bed and use the bathroom because even though she has Alzheimer's, she understands enough that she does not want to relieve herself in a bed. So she will hold it until I get her up 
because she doesn't understand. So I have to get her up and put her on this portable toilet. And that's when she will use it. And it's a catch 22 because even though she should not get up, she won't do it unless she's up. And when she's up and on the toilet, you just have to watch her like a hawk. You just have to watch your loved one because with the Alzheimer's, they don't understand something as simple that could make your life easier, but because of their lack of understanding, you have to um, just be more cognizant of their abilities or lack thereof. So I thank you for saying that I did the right thing. It's a process. I'm tired. <laughs> Our listeners can't see it, but you can see it. I look tired. I just wanted to share. So if you all are going through that, it will get better. <laughs> it will get better. You just have to watch them. Right, Dr. Monica? Yes, Dr. Denise, Princess Dr. Denise. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Twitter, MPMK at MPMK Podcast. And on Facebook, My Parents Are Now My Kids. And on Instagram, My Parents Are Now My Kids. See you next time.